Pelvic Rehab Research Podcast. My name is Becca Bissadolshensky, and I'll be your host guiding you as we take a deep dive into all things pelvic floor and research-based. Whether you're a pelvic newbie or a seasoned clinician, I'm here to help busy therapists listen through the Women's Health Study Guide. So if you're studying for the Women's Certified Specialist Exam or just interested in learning more about pelvic health research, we've got you covered. Hey everyone, and welcome back. So this article was adapted from the third edition of the ABC of Sports and Exercise Medicine. Karen Birch is our author, discussing the female athlete triad, which has been a long-recognized syndrome that affects females and consists of three interrelated disorders, one being osteoporosis, two being disordered eating, and three being menstrual disorders. So these are interrelated disorders as they're caused by psychological and physiological mechanisms. Psychological pressures surrounding optimal performance can contribute to maintaining a low body mass and a high volume of training. This high training volume and low energy intake can result in an increase in stress hormones and may further result in physiological alterations within the endocrine system. Typically, we're going to see those alterations as changes in menstruation, specifically amenorrhea, which is the loss of menses after menarche. This loss of menses is often caused by a dysfunction in the hypothalamus and the pituitary glands as the body is producing less estrogen. It's important to remember that estrogen plays a role in bone mineral density and that a hypoestrogenic state will further increase the risk of osteoporosis due to a lower bone mineral density. So let's go over a normal, healthy menstrual cycle. Normal menses, or eumenorrhea, is a 26 to 35 day cycle. It's controlled by the hypothalamus and the pituitary glands, and it's divided into two phases. The first phase is gonna be that follicular phase. That's gonna be characterized by the gradual increases in estrogen, primarily produced by the ovaries. The second phase is the luteal phase. This is characterized by high concentrations of estrogen and progesterone. Before we go into what can go wrong with menses, I wanted to input the statistic that amenorrhea is common in 5% of the general population, but in up to 44% of the athletic population. And the luteal phase defects in the athletic population are as high as 79%. I think those are crazy statistics. Let's review some terms for anyone who needs a quick one. If you're a menses expert, feel free to fast forward. Amenorrhea is the loss of menstrual cycle after menarche. No ovulation period is novulation. Oligomenorrhea is the irregularity of the menstrual cycle. And eumenorrhea is a normal menstrual cycle. So menses disturbances can progress from those luteal phase defects to anovulation or no ovulation, then to oligomenorrhea or irregular cycles, and then into amenorrhea or the loss of menses. For a luteal phase defect, providers are determining this by a luteal phase lasting less than 10 days, inadequate progesterone concentrations, ultrasound measurements of pre-ovulatory follicle diameters, and endometrial biopsies. So keep in mind that those luteal phase defects may be less obvious than the loss of menses, but clinical consequences are still serious. So obviously there's a multitude of factors that go into menstrual disorders and not all are completely understood. One cause for luteal phase defects includes decrease in pulsatile release of luteinizing hormone. Another thought is that these women with amenorrhea and luteal phase defects have higher concentrations of growth hormone and cortisol as compared to women who have sedentary lives. So those hormones are gonna help regulate the metabolism which in turn is related to nutritional and metabolic status. It's thought that the constant signal of low energy availability occurs over a period of time and the menses is switched off in order to conserve the body's energy. 
So this article discusses that the luteal phase defects and amenorrhea aren't caused by low body fat levels and the associated low estrogen levels, but rather the decrease in energy availability and the endocrine and metabolic changes surrounding that. Obviously, a low body fat level is associated with poor energy availability, which should be a signal to providers that disordered eating and a disturbance in menses may be present. So let's focus on disordered eating and the term anorexia athletica, which is a training and sports performance driven form of disordered eating. There's a 15 to 60% prevalence of disordered eating within female athletes and a 50% prevalence for compulsive overexercising. A presentation of disordered eating differs from the clinical diagnostic criteria of an eating disorder. So I think it's really important to recognize this. Disordered eating will present as someone with perfectionism, compulsiveness, competitiveness, high self-motivation, menses disturbances, and one means of weight control that's unhealthy. So that's going to look like things like fasting, vomiting, diet pills, laxative use, or diuretics. Now moving into bone density, stress fractures are often something PTs find themselves managing within their athletic populations. There's a figure in this article that shows the relationship of bone density at the femur neck and trochanter of 50 female endurance athletes in relation to their menstrual cycle frequency. So those who are amenorrheic have a standard deviation of around negative one, and those who are eumenorrheic are positive one. So if you're not familiar, osteopenia is defined as bone mineral density of one to 2.5 standard deviations below the average. So those amenorrheic women technically have osteopenia. Osteoporosis is 2.5 or more standard deviations below the average. So you can imagine how much more prone those female athletes with osteopenia and osteoporosis are going to be to stress fractures compared to those with normal bone density. Exercise and nutrition is essential in teenage years in order to attain peak bone mass. Otherwise, an individual's bone tissue may not respond ideally to mechanical stress. So as we know, those with low energy availability by means of poor nutrition intake, low estrogen concentrations, as noted by things like amenorrhea, are going to have a significant increase in becoming osteoporotic. There's been a call for osteopenia to replace osteoporosis in the female athlete triad as it's a much more common thing that we're seeing and it's still associated with bone decalcification. So I love numbers. Let's talk about the actual percentages that they found in bone density for those experiencing menstrual changes. In comparing runners who are amenorrheic and eumenorrheic, their bone density is 5% less in the spine, 6% less in the hip, and 3% less in the whole body. In comparing eumenorrheic runners, so All of these runners have a normal menstrual cycle, but some have disordered eating versus non-disordered eating. They still show significant changes in bone density. So normal menses and disordered eating shows bone density that was 11% less in the spine, 5% less in the hip, and 5% less in the whole body than those who did not have disordered eating. So I think that's a major takeaway point. It's so much easier of an intake question to ask, do you have a regular menstrual cycle? Then are you managing your diet and eating habits properly? I also thought it was an interesting note that they added that an amenorrheic female has a femoral bone mineral density comparable to that of a sedentary control group. So what's the treatment for this population? I think it's fair to say that prevention is better than treatment, but that's difficult to manage with athletes given the competitive nature of their sport. Increasing body weight and decreasing training loads are often pushed back on due to the concern for changes in performance. I also don't know that many younger females find it really easy to talk about changes in their eating habits or menses with providers, or they might just believe that those changes are normal. Awareness of the female athlete triad is probably the most important and imperative step in management of this population. 
Disordered eating should be referred and treated by qualified staff, as with menstrual disturbances. Athletes should understand the benefit in decreasing training load and increasing energy intake on their long-term performance and athletic function. For those who have menstrual disturbances with decreased bone mineral density confirmed, treatment is going to rely on estrogen replacement. This can be through a contraceptive pill, and this article noted progesterone only and the mini pill should be avoided. Although I think we all know that we're not the providers that are making those decisions. Contraceptives alone will not solve the problems, and this is more of a short-term approach. Hormone replacement therapy, like what is often offered to our postmenopausal patients, have been successful in very few studies. Little is really known about the long-term effects of other treatments for bone loss, such as an estrogen receptor modulator, intranasal calcitonin, or biphosphonates on amenorrheic women. A safe bet is increasing calcium intake to 1,500 or 2,000 milligrams a day, not in an effort to increase bone density, but to limit further loss. For those wondering about the author's background, Karen Birch is a senior lecturer in the UK in the Exercise Physiology Department of Sports and Exercise Sciences. So for a really short article, this one packs a lot of information. Some key points for you guys. Know the female athlete triad, osteoporosis, disordered eating, and menstrual disorders. Recognize the effects that estrogen plays on bone mineral density. Recognize the effects of our nutritional intake and exercise output and how that plays on our endocrine system and furthermore, our menses. Prevention is a treatment. Clinically, I changed my intake for younger females to create a more open dialogue about changes in menses and diet. The first visit isn't usually as effective, but throughout the course of treatment, you get a little bit more rapport. So that's it. Next up, we have another article by Joy in 2009 on the health-related concerns of the female athlete, which is a lifespan approach. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.